please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Thank you, music team, for reminding us of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Matthew chapter 5, our passage of study this morning will be verses 38 through 42. We are continuing in our sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount, looking at kingdom living and how we are to live in God's kingdom as as members of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, invite you to look in your copy of the scriptures, turn on your screen, whatever that may be. This is God's holy, authoritative, inerrant, and forever word to us this morning. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess as we read these words of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're difficult to understand. They're difficult to apply and even believe. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would would teach us, would instruct us in the way that we should go, would change our hearts so that we may live rightly in your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard some of these phrases before that we just read in this passage. Very common in the English language, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that comes from the Bible. Or perhaps you've heard someone say, you know, he really went the extra mile in doing this for me. That too comes from the Bible. Or perhaps you've even told your children if someone was bullying them or being mean to them or even someone to you and say, you know, you just need to turn the other cheek. Those are actually words of our Lord found here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. But they they have a context for us. They're part of the narrative here that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about kingdom living. So it's important for us to understand why Jesus gave these words to his disciples and what they truly mean. If you've been following along with us in Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 5, as we're still really in the first chapter, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, this passage is the fifth of six examples that our Lord Jesus Christ gives us here, elaborating on what he said in Matthew, chapter 5, verse 20. Earlier in the chapter, he said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is doing here is giving examples of what that righteousness that is that exceed the super holy people, the scribes and the Pharisees, what that looks like. And by way of this teaching, Jesus is showing where the Pharisees, in fact, 
misapplied and even misinterpreted what the Old Testament teaching was. Jesus did not come to give new teaching. He was not replacing the Old Testament law. Rather, he was giving the Old Testament law greater meaning. And he was trying to show this is what God's word means. This is how you are to interpret it rightly and give it its right place in the Christian life. In a sense, as we know, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 is a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is expositing the scriptures. He's teaching. He's, He's preaching to God's people, and he's using the word of God to do this, to show us how righteousness, the righteousness of God is to work itself deep down into the life of a believer. And so in this passage, Matthew 5, verse 38 through 42, Jesus is digging deeper and deeper into the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And here he means to teach us a core principle that he actually lays out even further in Matthew chapter 16. And that core principle that Jesus is trying to teach us from this passage can be found in Matthew 16, verse 24, where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Or to shorten it, what our Lord is teaching here is that Christians must die to self and follow Christ. Christians must die to self and follow Christ. And so to understand what Jesus means here, we're going to look at this passage the same way we have the last five. We're going to look at what the Old Testament law was teaching in the books of Moses. We're going to look at what the Pharisees were actually falsely teaching. And we're going to look at the authoritative teaching of our Lord Jesus and what he means for us here in this passage. So the first is verse 38 where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This Old Testament statement can be found in several books, several of the books of Moses. If you don't know what the books of Moses are, those are the First five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, in several places in those books, we find this expression, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And this was actually the expression used for the the principle of law used to govern God's people in ancient times. In modern days, the phrase has been known, and some of you lawyers can come correct me on this, but in a Latin phrase, lex talionis. And lex means law in Latin, and talionis means retaliation. And so what we're talking about here is the law of retaliation. And in a biblical and judicial sense, it refers to retaliation that is authorized by the rule of law. Retaliation was to be carried out in the form of a punishment corresponded in kind and to the degree of the crime that was committed. And so this principle of lex talionis was established in the Old Testament as a means of controlling excessive anger and violence and the human desire for personal revenge. 
And so this law was put in place to temper those things. This rule of law made sense because, as we all know from personal experience, that if anyone would seek to harm us or do wrong to us, our immediate and natural instinct is to retaliate. But not to retaliate in the same way. If you come and punch me in the arm, I'm going to get mad. And my retaliation, I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) Punching someone in the arm and punching someone in the face is not the same. They cause different damage and more pain. So it is our sinful human tendency to get angry and to retaliate but to retaliate with a greater vengeance. And we see this tendency to anger and sinful retaliation in our children, right? So if you observe children, you may see that one child decides to go and to steal his or take his sibling's toy. What does that child do? Not only does he jerk it back, but punches him, and I'm going to go tell mom. (laughs) And then you have to be a lawyer to figure out exactly what happened. (laughs) Why is this? Why do children do this? Well, I love what Lloyd-Jones says here. From our very earliest days, as we have this desire for revenge, it is one of the most hideous and ugly results of the fall of man and of original sin. This desire for revenge and over-excessive retaliation, Lloyd-Jones says, as the Bible teaches, one of the most hideous and ugly results of the fall and of the sin that resides in our hearts. But this sinful instinct is not just found in children. It is in all of our lives as well. We see it when spouses quarrel and fight in the home. Well, you aggravated, you did this to me, so I'm going to do even more to you. Or we see this with athletes, (laughs) overreacting during a game. Oh yeah, you fouled me on my layup. Well, next time I'm going to I'm going to tackle you. That would be football and not basketball. Uh, we, we see this in business where where a deal goes wrong or we're, we're not quite satisfied with the way that server uh, served us in that restaurant. Well, I'm going to get online and I'm going to write the worst review. I'm going to show them that Sinful retaliation is in all of our hearts. In the Old Testament, Lex Talionis was in place to control the sinful chaos that led to excessive punishment and retribution for wrongs. So here, we need to see that one of the ways that God delivers and God controls the tyranny of sin in our lives is He gives laws. And he gave laws to his people. The law of Lex Talionis in in particular was given to ensure that there was equality and equity given under the law. So if someone poked you in the eye, they shouldn't be killed for that offense. It should be an eye for an eye. The the punishment should fit the crime. (laughs) You may have read in the news this week that Tiger Woods got his tooth knocked out by a cameraman. If somebody did that, I'd be mad. I'd be angry. But we didn't read about Tiger Woods going and grabbing his seven iron and beating that man silly over the head because he knocked out his tooth. Because that would be excessive. 
That would be wrong. That would not apply to Lex Talionis. Lex Talionis taught that the punishment must fit the crime and not be excessive in nature so that man would not seek excessive retribution. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So the object of this law was to control the depravity that exists in man, that sinful tendency to carry out revenge and retaliate in such a way that it goes above and beyond the rule of law. But another important principle that was under, important to understand regarding Lex Talionis in the Old Testament law was that it was under, it was the judges, the judges of the nations who were to carry out this principle. The law of retaliation, it was the responsibility of the judges to say, okay, this offense was committed, so this is going to be the punishment. Lex Talionis was to be governed by the judicial authorities. Much like in our day, the laws are interpreted and applied by judges. Never mind things that we may disagree with. (laughs) This principle of law, lex talionis, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, was not for private individuals to take matters into their own hands. In other words, if you came and poked me in the eye, it was not up to me to say, well, the law of eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, says that I can punch you in the face. (laughs) So Lex Talionis was held in check by judges to prevent man's sinful tendency to take matters or to take the law into their own hands and do anything they wish to enact revenge upon the one who wronged them. And so that leads us into the second part here, the false teaching, the, the perversion of the law by the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees wrongly interpreted and applied this teaching. They used an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as a means to justify personal retribution or revenge. They they simply ignored the Old Testament context that these principles were to be used in case law. And they were to be upheld by the judges, by the officials. They ignored that this was not for personal revenge whenever you want. They simply ignored the law, and it was to be governed by the authorities. The Old Testament clearly teaches that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not for the person who is mad and self-righteously trying to justify their sinful behavior. It is God who establishes the law. It is he who carries out the punishment. Oftentimes, that is of his own will and accord, but most times it is through the civil authorities that he has put in place. This principle was interpreted by the Pharisees, was based upon their idea of this, this worldly idea of personal rights. So it went something like this. You know, don't you dare infringe upon my rights because if you do i'll get you back you you impose upon my freedom I, I'm, I'm coming for you the teachers of the law were actually perverting the law for selfish gain they turned this injunction which is what after an eye tooth for tooth was they, tur- they turned this law that was used to restrain a person from taking the law into their own hands 
They used it, they turned it into a reason to take the law into their own hands and simply ignore the fact that it was to be carried out by the judges. And they thought, I'm going to be the judge here. I'm going to take care of this myself. So again, least we read this and apply this to our lives and say those those rascals, those stupid Pharisees, don't they get it? But again, don't we do the same thing? Are we not perfectly capable of twisting and bending and perverting the law of God to suit our own needs and to self-justify our sinful tendency to retaliate? But not just to retaliate, but to do so with a vengeance, to do even more. Oh yeah, you cut me off in traffic? (laughs) I'm going to run you off the road. Oh, you charged me hard going to the basket? I'm going to trip you next time. Those are just a few examples. We all have the sinful tendency in our heart. And that's where the teaching of our Lord comes in. It's the third part here. This is where Jesus helps us to understand how to apply this to the Christian life. And he does that in verses 39 through 42. In verse 39, he says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, at first reading, I look at that and go, Jesus, are you, you telling me that if someone wants to do evil to me and punch me, I should just let him? That's not what Jesus means here. The word resist in verse 39 is a legal term. And that legal term means to, to take to court or to give testimony against. So here Jesus is going right to the heart of a Christian. And he says, a Christian, a disciple, one of my followers, is not one who is quick to sue or one who is quick to accuse anyone of violating their personal rights. Rather, they are quick to die to self and to take up their cross and follow him. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Summarily, Jesus is teaching that we are... We are not to make our rights as the basis of our relationships to others. In other words, we're not supposed to place conditions on how we're to show the love of Christ. Our Lord is teaching that true Christian character, a character that is faithful and at any moment, but, but rather one, one who is humble, one who gives up their own rights and is ready to follow Jesus and imitate his example, that that is what he wants us to do here. That is the character that he wants for us. So what does this look like? What does it look like to die to self? Well, Jesus tells us. He gives us examples of what it means to die to self. This is not an exhaustive list or, or, or all the examples that he could give, but rather they're some illustrations that Jesus uses to demonstrate the true character that a Christian is to have. This is what it looks like to live in his kingdom and to be a child of the king. This is what it means to die to self, to not stand on your personal rights, but to to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So our Lord uses these four illustrations to demonstrate this. The first, he says there in verse 39, 
if, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You've heard it said, turn the other cheek. I don't really like this example that Jesus gives. I don't like it. Why? Because it goes against my sinful nature. It goes against my nature to retaliate. You touch me and I'm going to get you. So what does Jesus mean? Well, it's important for us to see here that this type of blow would have been more like a backhand across the face. Something like this. And this type of blow was, was not necessarily a violent one. This is not one that would cause a bruise or blood or anything on someone. In this manner, it was done as an insult in the ancient world. And if you were insulted in this way, if you were backhanded, the offender would often take the person to court and sue them. Because in modern day, it would be something like what would be called defamation of character. You're insulting me. You've insulted my, my pride and my livelihood. Therefore, I'm going to sue you. But what Jesus is calling us to do is, is to deal with our desire for revenge and for sinful retaliation. Jesus is not saying that it, to be a Christian means to let someone beat you to death or abuse you. That's not what he's saying here. Jesus is not speaking to self-defense. Nor is this to be a verse that we're used to promote Christian pacifism. <laughs> that we're just to hate war and let anybody hit us all they want. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. He's going for our hearts. He's talking about that sinful desire that we have to retaliate. And Jesus uses a very colorful example here to show us that the Christian is not to stand on their own rights. And not let anyone dare insult your dignity. Rather, in this situation, it means to respond to others graciously and to follow his example. Because when Jesus was insulted, when he was mocked, even when he was physically abused on the cross, he, he did not retaliate. And we'll talk more on that in a moment. The second example that he gives here in verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. A tunic in ancient days, during Jesus' days, was a garment that was worn under a person's clothes. It was ancient underwear, if you will. Someone could literally sue you and, and take your tunic. That would be used as collateral. But a person's cloak, he's that Jesus refers to here, is like a modern-day coat, a big, heavy coat, outer garment. And this cloak was actually protected by law. You can go and read in Exodus where someone couldn't just take your cloak and keep it forever because a person's cloak was often used um, as collateral for, say, a day if you owed someone something. But it had to be given back at the end of the day. Because the cloak was even used for, as, for many people as their bedding. It was the way that they would keep warm at night. And so someone might freeze to death or be extremely cold if they didn't have their cloak. So Jesus is not saying here that being a Christian means to give away your clothes to someone who sues you and leave you virtually naked. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He is, 
he's using a vivid example to show the disciple is not one who is so concerned with their legal rights as much as they are showing grace and love toward others like Christ himself. The point here is not to get into the the legal minutiae of personal property rights, but to show that a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Christ, is not looking to stand on the civil law as the basis to their personal right to happiness, but rather a Christian is willing to do anything for the sake and honor of Christ, even give away their personal property if it means showing someone the love of Jesus. We have a third example here in verse 41. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And you've heard this expression, going the extra mile. You may remember that during Jesus' day, Israel was an occupied land. It was occupied by foreign forces, and it was under the civil control of the Roman army. The Jews still had their customs, they still had their religion, but they were required to follow civil law as set up by Roman rule. And therefore, a Roman soldier had the right to force people to assist them at will. So you may remember an example of this in the New Testament where a man named Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry Jesus' cross because Jesus couldn't. And so Roman soldiers instructed a man, hey, you, you look fit enough, carry, carry this cross. They were required to do that. It was the law. You can imagine that the Jews hated this law. Why? Because it was humiliating. It was a very public reminder showing them that they were a conquered nation. And you could easily see how the Roman soldiers would abuse this practice. And one way, among many, is that Jews were forced to carry Roman soldiers' equipment, sometimes as far as a mile. And so Jesus, knowing that this was a reality in which they lived, says, you go two miles with a happy heart. And so again, Jesus uses a very powerful illustration to show that one who claims to be a disciple is willing to go the extra mile, to go above and beyond the call of duty to show the love of Christ. Hey, would you mind providing a meal for us this week? You know, we're, we've got lots of sick people at home. Could, could, you, could you bring us a meal? And maybe it looks like, hey, we're going to set up meals for you for the next month. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Just go, go the extra mile. Go above and beyond the call of duty to show the love of Christ. And then the fourth example we have here, Jesus says in verse 42, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is talking about giving away your possessions. Again, I really don't like what Jesus is saying here, because he's going right after my heart. He's going right after my attitude. 
scorn my possessions. My natural inclination is that this is my stuff. These are my goods. Why should I give them away to anyone? I, I worked hard for these. It's important to know. You can read all of the scriptures. A disciple is not required to give to the poor. A Christian is not required to go to church or to give to the church. A disciple is not required to let anyone just borrow the stuff. There are no laws that make Christians do these things. But, Jesus is saying, if you're truly my disciple, you will give sacrificially. If you want to show the love of Christ, if you want to take to heart what the scriptures are teaching here, then you will help those in need. You will care for your Christian community. And this is the example that was set by the early church in Acts chapter 2. You remember there were mass conversions. And they were eating and fellowship and praying together. And then it says this amazing statement in Acts chapter 2 verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. So Jesus shows us here. Rather than retaliate, give. Give to those in need. So here we have it. This is Jesus' call to self-denial, dying to self, and to follow him at the risk of losing everything, the risk of losing our pride, our possessions, and even our lives. But we must also remember that Jesus does not call us to do anything for which he is not willing to do himself. He is a God who does sympathize with us. And here Jesus is calling us to do hard things. He is calling us to give up our personal rights to follow him. He is asking us to die to self. To stop thinking about me, me, me all the time and to think about how to serve him in his kingdom. And Jesus demonstrates for us what this looks like. Turn in your Bibles to the end to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter, the rock, the apostle upon whom Jesus said, I will build my church. And the apostle who miserably failed the Lord upon his death. But the apostle who experienced grace, the apostle who learned from his mistakes, and the apostle who made this very astute observation about our Lord in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, he says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, when he was was mocked, when he was made fun of, 
he did not revile in return. When he suffered, when someone slapped him in the cheek and pierced his side, he did not threaten them, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. And so we look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith who shows us how to live out this principle of dying to self and and taking up our cross and entrusting ourselves to him who lived and died for us, the one who bore our sins in his body on a Roman cross. And he did not retaliate. He did not say, when I get down from here, you Jews and you Romans, you're going to get it. No, he died so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we we thank you. We thank you that we have our perfect model our perfect Savior, our perfect King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shows us what it means to love, who shows us what it means to die to self and to live for the glory of his heavenly Father. And so help us to go and do likewise. Help us to live out this principle that is taught here in this passage. Lord, that we would die to ourselves that we would become more and more selfless, selfish, and that we would more and more look to Christ, and that we would more and more find ways to show others the love of Christ by turning the other cheek, by going the extra mile, by giving to those in need. And so give us your spirit and help us to do these things, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.